that we do. If you have your Bibles, I want to turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, it's probably this chapter in its entirety. It's probably my favorite, maybe. There's a lot of favorites that I have in the Bible, but this is probably my favorite chapter in the Bible. I think that we could probably read through this chapter, just read it through from the beginning to the end, and that could be the sermon for the day, and that would speak loud enough we can all go home. We're not going to do that, though. We're going to spend a little more time, but we're only going to focus on a few of the verses that are there in Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. Uh, and if you're taking notes today, and uh, you know it's always a good thing to take notes, I always say that you know I think it's scientifically proven that those who take notes are more likely to get to heaven. So if you're taking notes and you need a title for your sermon, here it is on the screen, A Sure Thing, it's called, okay? A Sure Thing, we're going to talk about that today. And so Romans chapter 8, 14 through 17, here we go. It says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, which means Father. And the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Amen. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Can anyone say amen to that tonight? Hey, we are adopted into his family, it says. That should get us a little more excited. <laughs> We're adopted into his family. So let's pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll dive into this here today. Jesus, I do thank you today that, um, Lord, when we come to you, Lord, you do adopt us into your family. Thank you for that. Thank you that we are part of the family of God. Thank you, Lord, for your salvation that you've given to us, Lord. We just receive it, Lord, and, and help us to live it out, Lord, I pray tonight. And God, I just pray that you would lead us and guide us this evening into your truth, into your word. God, we do pray for Pastor Paul uh, and Patty and Mel and Irma. God, we pray that you would keep them safe, Lord, as they're in India. God, I pray that their ministry would be anointed and effective, Lord, as they are there. God, I pray you'd grant Pastor Paul especially health, Um, And for all of them, health, Lord, and help them to come home safe and sound. And God, that they would be full of stories of your goodness and your grace and your mercies, Lord, as they're on this trip to India. So we just pray a blessing on them. And God, we just pray that you'd have your way tonight uh, amongst us. In your name we pray, Jesus. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. All right. Well, I know this is Grey Cup Sunday. And uh, again, I don't think many of you didn't seem to care too much about that. I am a sports guy, all right? If you know me well, I'm a sports guy. But I have to admit, I am not a big football fan, all right? I'm not a huge football guy, but I do watch uh, and play other sports. And um, one of the sports that I've been into for a long time is basketball. Uh, You know, when I was younger in my formative years, I used to play a lot of basketball. Uh, Even as an adult, I used to play in men's leagues before I got busy with kids and everything else. I used to play a lot. Uh, In fact, I used to coach quite a bit of basketball for a number of years. Uh, And on my free time, a little bit, I like watching basketball sometimes when I get a chance to actually watch it. And, you know, the nice big HD screen. It's kind of nice to watch. And uh, But anyways, in saying this, you know, for all of you who perhaps been cheering for some sports teams over the years, and you just think that your team has the worst luck. You know, they have the worst luck in, 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 
in this in sports, perhaps you're an Oilers fan and you just think your team has the worst luck in professional sports the way things have gone. I want to tell you a little story about the NBA's Portland Trail Blazers. Okay, just follow me for a minute. I apologize if you hate sports, but we're going to go there for a few minutes. The National Basketball Association's Portland Trail Blazers in Portland, Oregon, they've had a team for a number of years. Now, you may never have heard of the player Sam Bowie, and for good reason. You've, You've probably never heard of him, okay? And there's a good reason for that, but he has been widely considered, poor guy, the biggest draft bust in NBA history up until this point in time. As Portland selected him over the highly touted shooting guard out of UNC named Michael Jordan. You may have heard of him. (laughs) Who here is Michael Jordan? You've heard of him, likely, right? And so poor Sam Bowie here, he went on to average 10.5 points per game and only four injury-rattled seasons with Portland before he was cast off to the New Jersey Nets. And of course, Michael Jordan goes on to become, you know, to average more points per game than any other player in NBA history, six championships, multiple MVP, you know, arguably the greatest basketball player in history. And Portland picked Sam Bowie over Michael Jordan. Oh, that hurts. Fast forward a few years when Portland drafted another young shooting guard named Brandon Roy in 2006. He actually quickly went on to win the Rookie of the Year and became a three-time All-Star. But after only five injury-ridden seasons, only five seasons full of injury, he had to retire. Imagine, only five seasons in, 23, 24 years old, had to retire. He had a degenerative knee condition. He had a bum knee. It just, he couldn't do it anymore. Gone. Career, poof, gone. And all the hope that Portland and, and Trailblazers fans had in this player, it was, it was done. And then fast forward another year. This is all Portland Trailblazers, these poor guys. You know, in 2007, the Trailblazers had the first overall pick in a highly anticipated draft where instead of choosing Kevin Durant, who had now become, uh, at this point in time, a four-time NBA scoring champion, a league MVP, a two-time Olympic gold medalist, instead of choosing him, they chose Greg Oden instead with the number one pick who, after a seven-year stretch, only averaged 15 games per calendar year because of injury. That's it, 15 out of 82, because he was always injured. And now his career is toast. I really feel, but you know what? Why am I sharing all of this today? Because we really need to pray for the poor people in Portland. No, that's... I joked. But they probably could use your prayers. Um, I'm sharing all of this to make a point. Perhaps you've heard this before, that there's no such thing as a sure thing. Yeah, there's, there's, there, there's no sure thing. No such thing. Uh, you, have you ever heard that statement? Or perhaps you agree with Benjamin Franklin, who once famously said, you know, the only things guaranteed are life and death and, ta- death and taxes, right? But there's no such thing as a sure thing. I would submit to you tonight that, you know, really for most of our lives, there's no guarantees, right? I mean, very few. I mean, we're not guaranteed our health. We're not guaranteed our jobs, our, our wealth. We're not guaranteed anything, really. I mean, um, when it comes, we don't know what tomorrow holds, right? We really don't. But I want to tell you today and encourage you that if we are in Christ, we do have a sure thing. We do have a guarantee, and that is our salvation that Christ has given us. It is a sure thing. God's love is a sure thing. It is there for us. It is guaranteed. It is awesome. It's powerful. We do not have to doubt God's love. It is strong. It is real. And it's for you and I. Amen? It's a sure 
thing. And the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians, he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have the power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, and how High and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Wow! God's love is amazing. And then Paul goes on to write in Romans 8.38 famously, he says, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, nor the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can anyone shout amen to that? What a promise of scripture. Wow. That is reason to rejoice today. That is reason to to rejoice. We read it earlier in our main text. And it is a powerful text. And I don't know if you, you caught some of this. But our main text in Romans chapter 8. He says the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. I think it's important today that we understand that we have an assurance of God's love. You know what? In, in raising our kids I think it's. I mean I have three small kids. It's very important for them to be assured that daddy loves them. They need that assurance, that mommy loves them, that their parents love them. Especially if we're doing the hard work of of disciplining our children and correcting them. That's not always nice. It's not always, you know, they don't like that. We understand that. But you know what? If I'm going to discipline and correct, they need to know that daddy loves them. Right? So important. In fact, I would suggest that in any relationship, if it's going to be a close, healthy relationship... That there needs to be an assurance of love. And it's like that with our relationship with God. We need to know how high, how deep, how wide Christ's love is for us. We are adopted into his family, we read in Romans chapter 8. And it says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are God's children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed We share in his sufferings. And this is a a key element I want to chat about here tonight. You can underline that in your Bible. If indeed we share in his sufferings. This is a little caveat. Did you catch that? We are co-heirs with God. We are truly adopted in his family and co-heirs with Christ. If we share in his sufferings. Wow. You know, I would say today that a lot of people actually, and I've been around long enough to see this, That a lot of people, they come to Christ, they make a verbal declaration, I believe in you, Jesus. Yep, they do. They give their hearts to Jesus, but they don't stick around in the faith long enough to actually share in the sufferings of Christ. They're like what Jesus said in the parable of the sowers. You know, the seed was scattered, and some of it fell on, you know, on rocky ground and thorny ground, and the cares of this world and and the pursuit of wealth and, and all kinds of things came and blew the seed away. And many people have not continued on in their their faith long enough to actually share in the sufferings of Christ. But the word says that, you know what? Yes, we are his children. We are heirs, co-heirs with him if we indeed share in his sufferings. So what does share 
sharing in his sufferings mean? And there's a few things I want to talk about today, three things that I want to bring out about sharing in the sufferings of Christ. And I want to tell you today that we can have an assurance of our salvation. And I would say that, you know what, most of us fall into a couple different camps when it comes to this, all right? I mean, some of us struggle with having an assurance of our salvation. You know what, we, 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 we've given our hearts to Christ. Man, you know what, we're coming to church. We're trying to do the right things, trying to do the God things. We're re- trying to read our Bible and, and we're praying. I mean, maybe not every day, but as often, you know, maybe every day and as often as we can consistently, we're trying to work out our salvation and be the person God has called us to be and you're doing that. And, and, and yeah, you're not moving forward as, as, as you know, you're not where you know you want to be, but yeah, you're moving forward in Christ slowly, but you've been struggling with, am I really saved? Am I really where I need to be? Guess what, friends? If we are moving forward in Christ, you know what? His grace is what sets us free, amen? We are saved by grace through faith. That is for sure. But guess what? If you are moving forward in Christ, you do not need to doubt your salvation. God is with you. He is for you. We've read about his love. It's with you. And you know, some other of us, sometimes we, we, we come to Christ and we make a verbal declaration, we ask Him into our hearts, but then we're not doing the things that we should do, right? I've, again, I've been around long enough to see this, and people say, I've gave my heart to Christ when I was, you know, in Sunday school 25 years ago. That's great. How come you're like living like the devil now then? <laughs> that verbal declaration you made 25 years ago, that's great, but I'll tell you what, if you're living for the devil now, that verbal declaration is not going to do you much good. When it comes to true faith in Christ, I'm going to make a statement today. True faith in Christ is not just a verbal declaration, but a heart transformation. Okay, It transforms our life. It really does. Now, that doesn't mean that all things are perfect, that I never sin, that I never mess up, that I always go around with a smile on my face, a perma smile, that's freaky, right? All the time. <laughs> But what it means is from one degree of glory to the next, one step at a time, I'm becoming more, over time, the person Christ has called me and created me to be. Over time. I'm not arrived yet, neither of you, right? None of us has arrived yet. I know some of you really well. You haven't arrived yet. You know me really well. I haven't arrived yet. We're moving there over time. But true faith in Christ is not just a verbal declaration. It is a heart transformation, a life transformation. So it says that we are heirs and co-heirs with God if indeed we share in his sufferings. You know, we know it in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus himself says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. He says, but only the one who does the will of my Father. Wow. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And did we not drive out demons in your name and perform many miracles? Jesus says, then I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me. What is this saying? Sometimes we can get caught up in doing the good things, the churchy things. Even seemingly godly things. But when God is asking you to do something else and you're not doing it, Jesus says, you're not doing the will of my Father. Away from me. You know, you you were missing the point, Right? We're missing what God is asking us to do. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. Now in 1 John chapter 3, um, well, we went to, oh, that's okay. 1 John chapter 3, I guess I don't have it up here. He says, John says, 
This is 1 John 3, 19 to 24. He says, This is how we know we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts. That's a good thing. So we're not going on feelings here. Okay. Um, if our hearts do not condemn us, then we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we, keep his com- because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command. Okay, here we go. We're gonna lay- we know that we belong to the truth you know, because we are following his commands. We're keeping his command. And here's his command. Okay, this is good. Let's lay it out. To believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he has commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. Wow. Those who believe in the name of the Son, Jesus, and those whom um, loves one another. Those who love one another. It's interesting. Remember when the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, Teacher, what do you say is the greatest commandment? Remember this? And, you know, they were trying to trap him, trick him. And Jesus says, well, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, to love your neighbor as yourself. You, do the, you know, these two things, all of the law is captured into these two commands, really. So what is this saying? You know, yeah, the Bible has a lot of other things that God says, things that we should be doing and things that we should not be doing. There's other things we need to obey. But if we can't get these two things right, putting God first and then loving others, you are never going to be able to keep all these other commands. Good luck. It ain't going to work. It's not going to happen. You need to put God first, love him, have him in the right priority in your life, love others. This is the focal point of our obedience to God. This is the things that Jesus is focusing on, right? And if we can do these things, we will please the heart of Christ. We will please him. And so again, back to our text, it says that we truly belong to Christ when we share in his suffering. So what does this mean? I believe today that if we are sharing in the sufferings of Christ, that that will lead to a transformed life. Remember we talked about true faith as not just a verbal declaration, but a transformation. And if we share in the sufferings of Christ, we will actually become transformed by his power of his Holy Spirit. And I want to explain that today. So how do we share in the sufferings of Christ? And I want to talk about three things here quickly tonight. And there maybe there's some other things we can talk about, but I want to kind of focus on, on three things. And number one is to have a focus on the cross. A focus on the cross. We know that Jesus did certainly suffer on the cross for our behalf. And Jesus commanded us in Scripture to remember him in the ordinance of communion. Jesus says, do this often in remembrance of me. Now, this is not just some ritual or tradition that we do just to fill time in a church service. <laughs> But Jesus commands us to do it so that we will truly never forget. We will always remember what Jesus accomplished on the cross on our behalf. See, I think tonight that the cross of Christ should never become old hat to us. It should always be a profound thing, amen? It should always, we should always be thankful, always be in awe, always have a a sense of gratitude and awe and wonder at the cross of Christ because without it, we could never be saved, right? We can never uh, pay for all of these things ourselves. And, And what the problem is, why Jesus, I think, tells us to do this often in remembrance of him, because when we don't come back to the cross, when we don't remember regularly the cross and focus on that regularly, when we don't do that, we inevitably start to rely upon our own performance for our assurance of salvation. 
Does this make sense? We come back to the cross of Christ often. Why? Because we need to remember that our salvation is from that. It's from what he did. Not because, uh, you know, of what I do. Right? It's by grace we're saved through faith. Right? We, we, we trust in the cross of Christ, what Jesus did on that cross. It's not my performance, my, my moral excellence or, or whatever, or a checklist of do's and don'ts that make me right with Christ. It's what he has done on the cross. And that's why we need to keep coming back. We need to have a focus on the cross to remember how Jesus suffered and died on our behalf because he loves us so much. And yes, we... Of course, trust in the cross of Christ upon our salvation. Maybe you were saved many years ago, like I was, you know, 19 years ago. Under the weight of sin, I was overwhelmed with sin. But I I praise be to God, I gave my heart to Christ and I realized that I'm hooped. You know, because of that cross, I can have hope. I can have forgiveness and mercy. And there was a focus on that cross and what he did for me. But the question is, do I have a present trust? Yeah, I trusted in that cross 19 years ago. But am I trusting in that cross today or am I trusting in my own good deeds, my own works? Um, Biblical scholar Wayne Grudem says it this way, and we've heard stuff like this before perhaps. He says, therefore, a person should ask himself or herself, do I today have trust in Christ to forgive my sins and take me without blame into heaven forever? Do I have confidence in my heart that he has saved me? And if I were to die tonight and stand before God's judgment seat and he were to ask why he should let me into heaven, would I begin to think of my good deeds and depend on them? Or would I without hesitation say that I'm depending on the merits of Christ and I'm confident that he is a sufficient savior? Good question. Wow. So we don't just trust in the cross of Christ at the moment we get saved. It's a lifetime of trusting in him. You know, Colossians 2, 6 I don't have it up here, but the Apostle Paul writes, Just as you've received Christ, Jesus as Lord, just as you've received him, continue to live your lives in him. How did we receive Christ? By trusting in that cross. By grace through faith, right? That's how we've received him. That's how we're to continue in him. Uh, He goes on to say, uh, Colossians chapter 1, Continue your faith, established and firm. Do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. And in Hebrews it says, we've come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the end. Again, do not move from this gospel message. Do not let it become old hat. Let it be alive and active in us today. And then finally, Jesus says in Matthew 24, those, or sorry, he who endures to the end will be saved. Will be saved. We need to share in the sufferings of Christ. We need to focus on the cross. Nextly, how we share in the... Uh, his sufferings is, is, is by obedience. True obedience, let me tell you, maybe you've experienced this. If you are walking in obedience with Christ, somewhere down the line, you will. I don't know in what way, shape, or form, but if you are walking in obedience to Christ, you will experience a measure of suffering. Has anyone ever experienced it? You know what I'm talking about? In different ways, perhaps. Some suffering is more severe than another form. But if you are truly walking in obedience with Christ, you will experience a measure of suffering. True obedience is not always easy. It's not always pleasant. It's not always comfortable. However, if we're to share in the sufferings of Christ, we need to look at the obedience of Christ and ask ourselves the tough question, am I living in obedience as well? 
That's what Christ said. He's our example. My, you know, you know, God's not going to ask us to die on behalf of the entire world's sins. And you know, Jesus did that for us. But are we walking in obedience to Him? It's not always easy. Jesus says uh, in John fourteen fifteen, "If you love me, you will obey my commands." Now we read it earlier. Well, what's His commands? What What are the two big priorities for Jesus? Right, to put God first. Love the Lord your God, you know, and it says in, in, uh, in, in this context here, uh, in John 3, you know, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And by the way, we could put in brackets, belief, okay? True biblical belief equates trust. Did you guys know that? In, um, in James, listen to James 2.19. He says, you believe that there's one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Right? I mean, okay, you can say a lot of things. But true biblical belief, right? What did we say? True belief uh, is, is transformation, right? It's not, it's not just a verbal declaration. It's a transformation. And so Jesus says, you know, his command again is to believe in the name of his son, Jesus, and to love one another. So I want to talk about this. Key areas of obedience. Again, there's, there's other areas, certainly. You read through the scripture and says, boy, you know, we... Well, there's a lot of things we, we should listen to and obey this. And Jesus says, don't do these things. And we need to do these things and stay away from those. Okay, that's fine. But we're never going to do that unless we get these two things settled, okay? Uh, the, the big point of obedience is, number one, trust, okay? Biblical belief in Jesus equals trust. We need to trust Jesus with some things. All things. Everything. We need to trust Jesus with everything. Your life is getting a little chaotic. Your kids are going crazy. You need to be trusting Jesus for your kids. <laughs> As the mom looks at the, you know, the daughter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. We're, we're trusting Jesus. You're going through a financial crisis. You need to know that God is your provider. You need to trust in him. He'll meet your need. He'll care for you. We need to trust Jesus with our careers, with our homes, with our health, with everything in life we trust in the name of Jesus. You know, we read in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, you guys know this. Trust in the Lord with some of your heart. (laughs) You know, with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways submit to Him. Again, this is obedience and He'll make your path straight. Sometimes... We lack obedience because we fail to trust. We have a hard time trusting the goodness of God. Friends, you need to know that God is good. He loves you. He's for you. We read it in Romans 8.28 that He causes all things to work together for good. Stay with Him. Don't jump ship. You know, Endure in the faith and keep walking with Him because He will cause everything to work for good. If you love Him, if you continue to trust Him, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. First area of obedience, okay? We're talking about sharing and the suffering of Christ. We need to be obedient to God. And number one, first and foremost, is trusting in Him for our salvation and for all things really in life. And then number two is simply loving one another. Now we read it here. If someone says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. And we don't. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? 
Right? And Jesus himself says in John 13, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. You know, I can tell how mature someone is in their walk with Christ, not by, you know, your church attendance necessarily, although it's good to attend church. You know, just because you've attended church, you haven't missed a Sunday in 10 years. Man, that's awesome. That is wonderful. Keep coming to church. That's right, you shouldn't miss it. But that doesn't necessarily mean you're a mature Christian. You know, you can come to all the meetings and the events, and you can even, you know, you can do a lot of things. But how I know that you're a mature Christian is by how you love and get along with others, especially with those whom you disagree with. Hello. Right? That's a true test. How are you loving that person that you are having a disagreement with? Wow. It's really quiet in here. (laughs) That's how I can tell maturity. Because we are to love one another. So I would say that these are the two biggest areas of obedience to God, trusting God, loving others. If we can do that, I think that it will help us to obey God in the other areas that are perhaps more personal to you in your situation. You know what? There's a lot of things that God asks us to do. Maybe he's asked you to do something. He's asking me to do something. God, you know, God speaks to us. Amen. He does. And we need to listen to his voice and we need to be obedient to it. But if we are focusing on trusting God and loving others, I believe we can obey God in all of these other areas as well. It's an interesting story in 1 Samuel, and I'm just going to paraphrase all of this, but King Saul, in trying to justify his actions after he defeated the Amalekites, God specifically said, you know, I do not want you... Or, you know, to take any plunder. Do not take anything for yourself. I'm not going to get into all the reasons why God said to wipe everything out. That's another story and other things to explain at another date. But God commanded them to wipe everything out. Everybody, everything, animals, you name it, just... But what did Saul do? He did not do that. He actually kept the livestock and the animals and didn't wipe them out. And then, you know, Samuel finds Saul sacrificing these animals before God and said, look, God didn't say, I mean, I know this looks nice. Oh, you're so spiritual. You're sacrificing before God. But God didn't tell you to do that. In fact, he said to wipe them out. Right? He disobeyed, really, a direct order from God. And yet he was doing what a lot of people would say is a a good thing, a spiritual thing. But God said, no, no, don't, don't do that. And so the prophet Samuel comes to him. And he rebukes them and saying, you know, God has rejected you as king. I mean, there was a pattern of disobedience happening in, in King Saul's life. And Samuel came to him and said, what is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, he says, listen. Obedience is better than sacrifice. And what this tells me is that all the good things that we do, all of the church things that we do, guess what? That's all wonderful. But if God is asking you to do this and you're not doing it, all of those other good things you're doing isn't going to amount to much if you're ignoring the voice of God and the things he's asking you to do and me to do. Not just you, this is me too. Preaching to myself. Jesus says, again, I I read it earlier, that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father. Wow. I know this is a challenging message tonight. You know, we're talking about we can have an assurance of salvation, but we need to make sure that we judge ourselves soberly. That are we really in Him? Are we really walking with Him? 
Again, it's not just a verbal declaration, but a transformation. And how the last way that we can, uh, last thing I want to talk about tonight about sharing in the sufferings with, or sorry, sharing in the, yeah, the sufferings of, with Jesus. Um, we talked about a focus on the cross. We talked about living in obedience. Well, you know, sometimes that's not easy. We'll experience a measure of suffering in the obedience to God. And then thirdly, it's to live a life, uh, a fruit-filled life, full of the fruit of the Spirit. And I think that if we are going to share in the sufferings of Christ, we must also take on His character traits. And, and, and we need to become more like Jesus. Well, what is Jesus like? Well, I want to tell us tonight that you want to look at the character of Jesus? Look at Galatians chapter 5 and the fruit of the Spirit. That's the character of Jesus. Right? What The fruit of the Spirit. This is characteristics of the Holy Spirit that, that, that God wants you to start to live out. And guess what? The Holy Spirit and Jesus and the Father was the triune God. You know, if we look at this, we can make a really easy argument. Look, the fruit of the Spirit is actually the character of Christ. And that is love, right? Joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Wonderful character traits. That yes, this describes the person of Jesus, but we read it in Galatians and it says, look, these are for you. You need to be full of the fruit of the Spirit. You need to grow in these areas. And then we read it. By the way, I think that if we're truly in Christ, you know, I think that we should see throughout time. Again, we will never be perfect. We're never going to be perfect in all of these areas, these these fruit areas, right? Um, There's going to be some areas that we struggle with more than others. I mean, you know, you go through this list, you, you know, you, you can name them out. Yeah, I struggle with this one a little more than that. We're never going to be perfect in all of them. But I think that if we are truly in Christ, that means we have the Holy Spirit within us. And what that means is that over time, we should get... This thing is flying off my head here. We should get a little better with it, at least. You know what I mean? We should, we should get a little better in areas of patience or self-control or kindness. We... God should be helping us if we're truly in Him. The Holy Spirit's at work within us. We should improve somewhat in these areas of fruit. Because, again, God's whole plan and goal is for us to become more like Christ. Right? That's, that's what Jesus is trying to do for us. He's, he's trying to... When Romans 8.28, I know I quoted earlier. 8.28, we forget to read 8.29. You know, God causes all things to work together for good who, are, who love God and who are called according to His purpose. For, you know, for those who God uh, foreknew in advance, He chose to become like His Son, basically. Is what I'm, you know, I'm paraphrasing a little bit. What is this saying? The, you know, Romans 8.28, you know, God causes all things to work together for good. Okay, fine. But what is the good that He's working at? Good question. Not just for your happiness or enjoyment or for all... You know, the good that He's causing to work together, is for you to become more like His Son, Jesus. Romans 8.29, read it. Read in context, 8.28, 8.29. God causes all things to work together for good, but what's the good? That you're actually becoming more like Him. Okay? It's important to know. So we should be somewhat, over time, improving in these areas because the power of the Holy Spirit is at work in us. You know, I love what um, 2 Peter uh, Peter writes this, he says, By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Amen? He's given it to us. We do not have to conjure it up on our own. We have received all of this by coming uh, to know him. 
the one who has called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. Thank you, Lord. These are promises that enable you to share in his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. He goes, in view of this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Make every effort to respond. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone. Now, pause here for a moment. This is a saying, yeah, hallelujah. This, this is not, we are not earning our salvation by moral excellence and knowledge and self-control and endurance and godliness and brotherly. We're not earning our salvation. He says, supplement your faith with these things. Meaning that he's assuming at this point that we already have faith in Christ. We've already, we've already been saved. And now that you've been saved, add on to that faith these wonderful things. Okay, He's telling us to do this. Again, this is the fruit of the Spirit, really. And he says, the more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be. Wow. How many want to be more productive and useful in the kingdom? then we need to grow in these areas, right? These fruit areas. He says, but those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. So dear brothers and sisters, work hard not to be saved, but to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. Wow. Again, we are not doing these things to earn our salvation, but if we've truly been saved, you know what? If we have true belief in Christ, it's a life transformation, not just a verbal declaration. And we should start to supplement our faith with these things that God is asking us to do as we live in the grace of God. And by the power of his Holy Spirit, he's going to help us to live in a way that pleases and honors him. And as we do that, and as we you know, work to do that, He says, do these things and you will never fall away. Friends, we have a great, confident assurance in our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, it's not my performance that earns the salvation. I'm thankful for that. I focus on the cross of Christ. My salvation was secured there. Amen. And because of that, he's given me his grace and the power of his spirit that by God's grace, from glory to glory, I'm going to keep becoming a little more like him. I have not arrived yet. Ask my wife. She's not here tonight. I have not arrived yet, and neither of you, but by God's grace, we can move forward and work at it and get into his scripture and attend church and come to the things that we should do, the things we should be doing to grow in Christ. And then Peter says, if you do these things, you will never fall away. Friends, I do not worry about falling away. I mean, I've seen people walk away from Christ. I'm not going to get into this whole discussion tonight because how all this works. Someone, I knew someone was going to ask me today, Darren, what do you think about eternal security? I'm not going there. <laughs> But you know what? I do not worry about falling away. I mean, I'm not thinking about that. I want to think about living for him, thankful, focusing on the cross, trying to live a life of obedience, trying to be full of the fruit of the Spirit and trying to do these things and and do what I can and, and, and pray and seek God and read the Word of God and be in fellowship with other believers. And guess what? Peter says, if you do these things, you'll never fall away. Wow, what a promise from Scripture. What a promise today. And I would say today that the more we do these things, the more we walk with God, the more that we're walking in obedience and focusing on the cross and living a life full of the fruit of the Spirit, the more we do these things, 
I would suggest to you that our assurance is something that also grows as well as we grow in our walk with God. I can say that's true in my own life. You know, you can't take it for granted. Um, more godly people, I would say, than, you know, than me have actually walked, fallen, really, because they, they've neglected the things. I've had friends in ministry who I look up to dearly. Um, fallen into sin, did some crazy stuff. I'm not saying that, you know, we're all beyond that. But guess what? If you continue to walk with Christ the way the scripture is saying, you won't fall away. You won't, you won't slide down that, that path that the enemy would want you to go on. And so today, friends, I just want to conclude this. And Jake, maybe you want to come and, and uh, play something nice. <laughs> but we need to have sober ju- judgment of where we're at. And again, I think we fall into a couple different camps, you know. And of course, this morning there was a big crowd here in the church. And when you get two, three, four hundred people in a service, you know that there's people in every area, you know, dealing with all kinds of things. And, but again, sometimes we struggle with having that confident assurance that, yes, we are saved. That, yes, we are loved. That, yeah, that God is our Father and we're adopted into His family. I want to tell you today, friends. That if you are walking with God, if you are, if you're doing what you, again, not perfectly, because I, Lord knows I'm not perfect in this. But if we are walking with God and, and, and trying, you know, our best to be in the scripture and praying and trying to live a life of obedience and, and we're aware of the fruit of the spirit and, and we're trying to do that. And, and, you know, we know that we cannot earn salvation, but because of our response to God's grace, we're trying to do these things and live a life pleasing to God. And if that's you, I want to tell you today, keep going. You're on the right track. God does love you and he's for you. And you can be confident in that assurance today that you are saved. Keep pushing forward. And by the help of the Holy Spirit, guess what? God will enable you to grow. Stick with it. Share in the sufferings of Christ. Focus on his cross. You know, be obedient to him, especially in the areas of loving God and putting him first and how you treat one another. And be aware of the fruit of the spirit that God wants to grow in your life. Keep going with it. God loves you. He's for you. And you know what? We read it in Romans chapter 8 that the Spirit, His Spirit testifies with our spirit that we truly belong to Jesus. And I pray tonight that the Holy Spirit would touch your heart tonight that you know what? You do belong to Him. But maybe perhaps there's others tonight that you know what? Your faith in Christ has been more of a verbal declaration and it has not been a heart transformation. You know, I've seen a lot of people say, you know, I gave my heart to Christ, you know, again, 25 years ago or 50 years ago. That's wonderful. Is that impacting your life today? Because if it's not, I'm not the judge. Thankfully, I'm not. You're not. But when I read scripture, if that's not impacting your life today, then you've missed the point. And Jesus said, or sorry, John the Baptist says about Jesus. This is... This is a little harsh, but I think this is important. You know, John the Baptist says, you know, that I baptize you with water, but there's one coming who's going to baptize you with fire and with the Holy Spirit. And he's standing there with his winnowing fork, and he's about to clear the threshing floor, and he's going to separate the wheat from the chaff. I want to make sure that I'm with Jesus, amen? I don't want to be swept away with the chaff to be burned into the fire. No, 
I don't want to be like, like in Revelation where it says, you know, Jesus says that I know your deeds that you're neither hot nor cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. I don't want to be lukewarm. I don't want to be like the child. I want to be all in for Jesus. I don't want to just make a verbal declaration, but I want to be the person whose heart and life is transformed by the gospel. Amen? That's what we're all called to be, friends. And then when we're on that path with Jesus, again, not in perfection, but we can have an assurance of our salvation that we are indeed part of his family and that he loves you. And he will never love you less, no matter how many dumb things you and I do. He will never love you less than what he loves you now. And he will never love you more because his love is already so great and immeasurable and awesome for you and I. That's the gospel, friends. Why don't you stand? We're going to pray tonight. We're going to get get you out of here. And I don't know if anything I'm saying tonight, perhaps God is speaking to your heart. You say, God is speaking to me. The Holy Spirit is speaking to me tonight. And and if that's you, just just simply, you know what? God is speaking to me tonight. I want to pray. I don't know what area that's about, whether it's about you need a touch of the Holy Spirit. Just as we read in Romans 8, that you know what? His Spirit testifies with our spirit. That we are God. Maybe you need a touch on your heart today from the Holy Spirit for Him to confirm deep within your heart His love. Maybe you struggled with God's love and His assurance of salvation. You know, maybe you struggle with that. And you need the Holy Spirit to impress that on your heart tonight, to touch your heart. Or maybe you're here and you say, you know what, Pastor Darren, my faith in Christ has certainly been more verbal than anything else. And I, I, there has been no life change in me at all. But would you pray that God would help me, that I would have a desire to get into the things of God, to go deeper, that I indeed, my life would indeed be changed by the gospel. I don't want to sit on the fence. I don't want to be lukewarm. I want my life to be transformed and to be with Jesus. And I don't know if any of these things God is talking to you about. Just raise your hand. I'm not going to do an altar call tonight. Just raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you right now. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's keep our hands raised tonight, and I'm going to pray. Jesus, I thank you tonight for my brothers and sisters in this place. God, thank you for their honesty before you. And God, I pray that you would just touch them by the power of your spirit tonight. Thank you, Lord, that in their response to you, hands are raised right now. God, I thank you for that, that they are responding to you. And Lord, I pray that you would minister to their hearts by your Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you. They belong to you. They belong to you, that they are yours and you love them, Lord, and you're you're with them and you are for them and not against them. And God, I pray that deep down in their hearts, they would sense that deep love of Christ. Lord, that they would settle in their hearts tonight. The love of God, you love them. God loves you. He is for you, friends. He loves you so much. And I pray that his grace would just penetrate your hearts tonight. There's nothing you could ever do that God would love you less. There's nothing you could ever do that God would love you more. It's the love of the Father right now. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would impress it on their hearts. And if there's any here tonight who perhaps have been on the fence a little bit, Jesus, I pray for them that they would go deeper in the things of God, that it would not just be a verbal declaration, but God, that you would indeed transform their lives, their hearts, Lord, by the power of your Spirit tonight. That God, they would not just, you know, come to church on Sunday and do whatever throughout the week, but God, that they would be focused on you, Lord, every day of the week that they would come to you 
their lives would be revolving around you. Jesus, you'd be the focal point of their lives, Lord, that you indeed would transform their lives. And God, we thank you tonight for your grace that makes all of this possible. Thank you, Lord, that it's not our performance that gets us saved, but Lord, thank you that it's by grace, through faith, we've been saved. We're just responding to you, Jesus, and what you've done on the cross, and we say we love you, and we thank you tonight for all you've done for us. God, help us to live now for you and the way you're calling us to live. We want to be your children. God, we want to be who you've called us to be and created us to be. In Jesus' name, Lord, we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you tonight as you leave.